0: Hi, this is Matt Welsh with Spiritual Media Blog, and today I'm here with Jeff Brown, author of An Uncommon Bond. Jeff, thanks so much for being here with us today, I'm really excited to be talking with you.
1: It's my pleasure, Matt. Love connecting with you.
0: Great. Um, So, one thing that really stood out to me in An Uncommon Bond was you wrote about how relationship, particularly a romantic relationship, can be a path to God or a result in spiritual growth. And I was wondering if you could um elaborate on that and maybe talk about how you've experienced that.
1: Gotcha. You know, in my early years as a reluctant relationship participant, I um I bought into the idea that the the best and most effective portal to divinity was a very isolated vertical experience, like lone wolf meditation warrior on the cushion it had nothing to do with my relationship with anything outside of myself it was just between me and the big dude always the big dude in the sky or something like that and I had an experience in 1998 that was an uncommon bond experience um, where I had a very different experience after a phase of uh, reluctance of armored reluctance, um, because the experience was so terrifying to my habitual warrior consciousness. Having to surrender in such a deep and heartfelt place was very uh, upsetting and terrifying. Um, I finally, for whatever reason, was able to cross over into that experience and found that in the presence of the beloved, that in that horizontal connection, that my experience of unity consciousness or of the God self or something called divinity was so much more textured and expansive and flavorful and inclusive than anything i would ever experienced in my isolated vertical trip. Um, and so I came away from that experience, even in the heartbreak of that experience at the end of it, but believing that the really the ultimate path. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time in the spiritual world developing models of vertical consciousness. Um, and I came away from believing that, in fact, we need to move in the direction of developing models of horizontal consciousness. That is what comes up in the love field, all forms of love, um, and how is that not only a portal to divinity? But even maybe something that actually co-creates the universe on some level. I had some moments in that experience when I felt certain that we were doing more than just glimpsing something; that we were in fact somehow impacting it. And uh, never had that experience in my in my vertical path work. Yeah,
0: yeah, I really liked how you wrote about that because a lot of the spiritual growth emphasizes self-realization and developing your own potential, and it's easy to get caught up on like, what do I, what can I do. Right now, to in, be self-realized or enlightened, and you're coming up from it from a horizontal perspective of how can I connect with others to expand.
1: And, and and what does that field begin to look like in that in that relational expansive field? And you know, for me, that that place of verticality uh, was very profound. I mean, it was. It was a glimpse into something um, much more expanded than my habitual consciousness. Um, but you know, I also came to understand that if, if I kept following that lead and that patri, and I think of it very, very much as a patriarchal trip for the most part. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense that I wouldn't care in my economic life about being in integrity. I wouldn't care about having my impact on the environment. I wouldn't care about my impact on others because if the highest experience is the one that happens alone going vertically to God, then everything peripheral and everything horizontal is actually a distraction from my ultimate path of realization. Um, So to me, I don't think there's much of a difference ultimately between that perspective and some of the uh, pathological behavior we see in relation to the environment, some of the narcissistic behavior we see in relation to corporate behavior. All of that to me is coming from the same place, which is self-realization is really a solitary experience um, and has nothing to do with anything outside of me. So, you know, you can see the meditative dude, the guru in the cave for 35 years and those annoying relational women who all they want to do is talk about feelings and dynamics and all kinds of things like that. Um, They come to the cave entrance, they leave the milk at the front door and they scurry back to the village to deal with their secondary matters. Um, And ultimately, I think that that's really a big part of the problem on this planet we need to go horizontal or we're not going to be here for very long
0: yeah i agree um but i'm also wondering how do you how do you balance being in a relationship and you know having that horizontal connection but not losing yourself in a relationship and still maintaining your sense of self and identity
1: right so in the Uncommon Bond literature, Jeannie Ochterberg wrote about this in a really powerful article in Revision that I reference in the book itself. You know, it was very clear that people who met and had these profound, uncommonly bonded love experiences at an early age had a very hard time sustaining them because they hadn't, uh, their ego hadn't formed strong enough, they didn't have healthy enough boundaries, they didn't really know where they ended and the other began. And I, I think the more work we do to know where we end and the other begins, the more work we do to realize the self to actualize and clarify our path the more we can hold the space for that and, and not have to worry about getting enmeshed or losing the core self because you once you have something to come home to you always have something to come home to the key is not falling into that kind of a powerful connection until you've done that kind of developmental work
0: yeah and you think that developmental work for people who are just to give clear examples, like setting boundaries, maintaining your sense of self, do you think that just comes with practice or therapy, or you know how do you how do you gain that developmental skills
1: Well, I mean, I remember when my therapist Sandra at twenty four years old, used the word boundaries" to me for the first time. <laughs> I felt like my head popped off my body I, I had absolutely i was mystified and mortified and baffled by this concept of a boundary. in my, The way I grew up in an environment where nobody knew where anybody ended or the other began, where everybody had a sense of demented entitlement, um, I needed to hear the term, I needed to have the term defined to me, and I needed to keep going back in and out of that therapeutic process, interfacing with what this word meant and how does this land in my real life and yeah i mean i don't think it's something that's fundamental to the teaching conscious parenting is only something that's beginning to happen um so i think for a lot of us it does have to be part of the therapeutic process and ultimately hopefully it just becomes part of how we're raised as children
0: yeah that makes that makes sense um and i think it's helpful for people to hear and i kind of want to come back to that term uncommon bond um, because it, it kind of, it makes me think of the idea of soulmates, but I don't know if that's what you, if it's related to that or if it's not related to that.
1: I mean, I, I can read a definition of bonds. It's a bit of a long one though. Um, you know, I, for me, this is always, I, I said, there was an author's note at the back of the book that I was avoiding getting too into definitional <laughs> landscape because I, I I mean, I really think as part of the horizontal model, we need to find language for things. Um, For me, it didn't feel like what I perceived to be a traditional soulmate dynamic. It had a a very distinct flavor to it, um, a very powerful sense of prior life connection, um, which is not always true in many people I know who have identified as soulmates, Um, and also a tremendous degree of tumult and shadow excavation in the heart of the connection this happens for a lot of soulmates too so it's it's complicated landscape you know some people would call twin flames uncommon bonds and i read definitions of twin flames it doesn't feel exactly right to me um, i can read it if you want me to but it's um sure a bit a bit lengthy let me do it let's right. just do it um and, and, and i'll ask you if this sounds to you like what you imagine a soulmate to be and if it is god protect you um, <laughs> Uncommon bonds are love connections that are sourced in the transcendent and transpersonal realms. The couple feels destined to have met. Their connection is sourced in grace. This often leads to an experience of parapsychological or paranormal events, such as synchronicities, solendipities, and non-local communications that define uh, known laws of time and space, There's a knowing of pure recognition of the other, a feeling of being cut from the same cloth, a sense of having occupied the same body in a previous life, or perhaps one soul residing in two bodies. The lovers experience a prayer of gratitude and a sigh of relief as though coming home after decades of wandering. A transpersonal energy dances between and within them. Uh, And then it goes on to say, a soul-crafted dynamic, the relationship polishes the rough diamond of the soul. For this reason, the relationship is sometimes arduous, complex, and often accompanied by many dark nights of the soul. Um, There is a sense that the soul work could not happen in any other way than through the relationship. Repeated, Repeated dancing back and forth, new self now disappearing, wave to particle and back, characterizes the growing, changing, polishing, and refining process. Whether experiencing separateness or union, the couple are always feeling passionately alive. So that's part of the definition. So does that sound to you like what you're after when you say you want to find your soulmate?
0: To me, an uncommon bond sounds – I don't want to use the word deeper, but that's – it sounds like there's a little more internal work or uh, a little bit more depth. Than a soulmate. I don't know if I want to use the word depth, but it seems I would like say
1: a little less. I would say a little less sweetness. Yeah,
0: that's what I'm looking at. There's a little more work with an uncommon bond. It seems like
1: right. Uh, so Jean. So Jeannie Okterberg, she has just this, this quote, I'll just read this quickly. The telling of the story of uncommon bonds creates a new myth for relationships that involves the evolution and transformation of our being. The bonds may well be the threads in the matrix of humanity. And in the final analysis, the only thing that endures. We who have had bonded experiences can see ourselves as two of the many lights in the interconnected web of all life, and as these lights burn brighter in synchrony, we shake and move and transduce the filaments of the web so that the material universe is changed, subtly perhaps, but changed nonetheless. I would go so far as to say that, that these relationships are a, um introduction to the world of divine possibility available to humanity at this stage of human development they're very hard to hang on to because of all of the individual and collective shadow that emerges and you're essentially not only carrying your stuff up the hill you're carrying the stuff of an entire uh, collective up the hill Um, but they give us a glimpse of the level of connectiveness that's possible and the opening of the heart connections to the universe that may not be available through the sweeter more wonderfully uh, sustainable soulmate connections that we often think of.
0: Yeah. It sounds like there's almost more possibility for growth, but also maybe more internal suffering
1: More possibility for suffering. Yeah. Now other soulmate people would tell you this is the same as what they've experienced. It's always, of course it's difficult. You're, Great love unca- covers everything unlike itself. Anytime you find a great love, it's going to bring up your shadow, everyone else's shadow. And so, you know, We're I think we're only at the beginning of making these distinctions. And uh, it's good to talk about it. But I, I, I don't ever feel very firm in my response to those questions.
0: I mean, yeah, it's hard to put words onto something that's so hard to describe. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: That's what the beauty of it is. It's indescribability. Yeah. In way,
0: too. And um, – not to complicate things, but I do have a more complicated question, perhaps, when you talk about this idea of synchronicity and destined. Um, I mean that almost makes me wonder like, are they, are the are uncommon bonds destined to meet in lifetime in a lifetime, if they've met in a prior lifetime, or what, what does that mean?
1: Well, by definition, there is a feeling of uh, historical connection, some karmic lineage. Um, My experience in 98, I asked in the wild one day the universe to bring her. She had the exact same experience in another part of the world at almost the exact same time. Um, I went to Boulder, Colorado for a workshop, and I was a pretty grounded guy, still in the law world to some extent, very pragmatic. And I had a feeling that I was going to encounter this profound experience and, in fact, said to people before I went, this is what's going to happen. Um, and then I went to Boulder and I actually began looking for this person. And and you could easily say, well, wishful thinking, it was a time in your life, you're ready to have that experience. It was nothing like that. It was It was the moment of that first reconnection moment, it was like this being and I had known one another forevermore and this was absolutely destined in this lifetime. Now, what it was destined for was what it got there where the confusion was. The assumption that it's destined because you're supposed to live happily or semi happily ever after that was the mistake and that's what really the book addresses this assumption we make that it means babies and marriage and all those things, as opposed to some other experience, transformative experience altogether.
0: Yes. I um I agree with what you're saying and um and I also sort of realize too there still is an element of free will involved with that um but what would what would you say i mean what happens when you got two people who might be destined to meet and one of them just i don't maybe for whatever reason they chicken out and decide not to or maybe that's too harsh of a word but they're destined to meet and then one person decides this isn't happening
1: Well, usually what happens, and it happened in that experience, and of course it happened in the book, that somebody was more or slightly more even prepared to hold the space for the dynamic, and the other was terrified. I mean, this is the problem with connections like this. We're not trained in love. We're not trained in authenticity. We don't know really much about living with an open heart in a world survivalist world that requires vigilance and armor still. I mean, so what a confusing experience it is to live in this world at this stage and have this experience first of all, and then all the stuff that you don 't on your habitual consciousness ever have to address and, and all the collective abandonment material jealousy trip that we 're all threading through our family and our parents and our DNA comes to the surface so it 's pretty likely unless you 're much older and really know the lay of the land relationally, somebody's going to take off. Uh, and the legacy of Uncommon Bonds where people are at a younger stage is that at least one person takes off. And I get emails all day now from people who've read this book with their story, and always somebody took off. Now, in this book, it was the woman that took off, so that really t- turned around people's idea of who's always taking off. Um, and you know, I'm getting a lot of emails now from people who've had the exact same experience, where the man was ready to hold the space and the woman wasn't. So it happens in every direction. I, I in my experience, I was 36, she was in her mid-20s, I had done just enough work to be able to hold to it a little longer than she could, I think, but I also remember having glimpses in that very open space and where the heart was wide open, a feeling like that degree of vulnerability that I was, openness and aliveness that I was cracked open to in the experience, it felt to me like I did, couldn't see in this world how I could possibly hold to that if we were living in the world itself. I kept saying we need to live on a mountaintop away from the world or else this is an impossible thing to cultivate because how do you go from that degree of opening to readjusting to the mundane, armored, and vigilant world? It's incredibly painful and difficult.
0: Yeah. There's so many questions and comments I want to follow up with that. The first I should acknowledge what you just said is and in the book you talk about how painful and sad that is when a partner decides to leave that relationship
1: doesn't make any i mean i mean unless you know the lay of the land relationally so that you understand what you know if, if you've never had really thought much about these things and then this profound experience happens it is so confusing when somebody one way or the other finds a way to push it off um you know, you begin to – because you've now entered into this serendipitous realm where you're eating you're eating ser- synchronicity for breakfast, I used to say. <laughs> Stuff happens. I wouldn't even describe things that have happened in that experience. Matt, you'd think I'm insane. And I kind of think that I'm insane, but they actually happened. And you start to enter into this other terrain. It's almost like where the gurus allegedly live, like the real ones, if they in fact exist, where you're starting to see and connect and pull things to you that make no sense in a survivalist consciousness. So you're in this experience and you're suddenly feeling that God has blessed you or that now you understand what the God self is or something. And then all of a sudden you're smashed to the ground and you hate everybody. Including God. Cursing God is fundamental to the experience for a lot of people. And then you have to make sense of it with no templates, no love elders who've been there to speak of, no books that really understand anything. I tried to do something in this book that I couldn't find anywhere when I had this experience, which is to try to uh, uh, chart a course, some kind of a course course for people who follow to know what it's going to be like what they have to go through in order to make the decision whether to close down forever or to love it forward into some other way of being in their lives it's not a it's not a be careful what you wish for is what i tell people
0: yeah no i mean what i liked about that book and a lot of your other books too is i mean you talk about the fact that you have these human emotions even though you're on this spiritual journey whereas some gurus are like, you know what, just, just be happy. Just think positive thoughts. And perhaps there's a place for that and a time for that. But your book really explores the idea of like it's you know, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. Those emotions, you can work through them. You don't want to stay stuck in them, but you can work through them and, and, and grow from them.
1: I mean, any spiritual teaching that dissociates us from the emotional life is just a, a dissociative teaching. It's not a grounded, inclusive teaching. It's a bypass model, you know, inviting us in the direction of artificial bliss or moving towards emptiness or your feelings are an illusion or the ego is not true and real and your identities are all false those are just bypass models they have nothing to do with real spirituality because spirituality has to include our humanists. i don't even know the difference between the two and if we do distinguish the two if there is this thing called a, a unity consciousness spiritual field i expand it in my capacity to access it and sustain it to the extent that I worked through my emotional shadow. So they were never divorced. And I had a, a very lengthy, interesting conversation that I wish I'd recorded with Ram Dass, who will be here now years ago. And I said, you know, you know, how do you transform spiritually? And he said, well, you have a stroke. He had a stroke. Or you get into a very serious car accident. And I said, why do you have to go to those extremes? Why don't you just work your mother stuff? You know, I mean, there's... You know, repressed emotions are unactualized spiritual lessons. Uh, Just work your material and you'll grow in your capacity to hold the space for a spiritual field. And then you'll ultimately realize there's no difference.
0: Yeah, I agree. And um, I I think I have a good understanding of what you mean when you say work through your emotions. But um, for some people out there, they, they might not know what that means. So, I mean, what does that mean? And I guess how do you balance working through and expressing your emotions but still not letting them take control over you,
1: I think if you don't work them through, they're going to absolutely take control over you um, because, <laughs> yeah. i mean you can you can artificially manage them, but you know that stuff is going to seep through. I call it the power of them I mean forget the power of now almost nobody's in the now it's just a big fat lie most of us are ruled by the power of then so you know for me so for example let's say you had an abandonment wound for example that kept coming up in your relationships a jealousy pattern whatever that is so you can either pretend it isn't there and do the positivity bypass until you get into a real relationship and you're clinically insane um (sighs) (laughs) Or you can decide to take it into therapeutic process and to begin to work the core and source material and maybe do somatic psychotherapy. And it doesn't mean it all goes away, but you can transform the material and you can grow and expand in relation to it. So the next time the abandoner projected abandoner shows up in your life you're able to manage it, name it identify it, work with it and not have your whole life get turned upside down so there's an example and to the extent that you work that can hold the space for the wound without being reactive to me you've actually matured in your emotional field and therefore matured in your spiritual field. It means for me, emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are essentially synonymous. And, And if you don't do the work, then there's some way in which you're going to move through your life in some fragmented or fractured way and not be able to have a complete experience.
0: Yeah. So I kind of like what you said, and just so I'm clear, it helps me too. Kind of part of this work is just simply being able to identify and recognize the emotion and hold space for it without being super reactive. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, well, super for sure. Uh, (laughs) to me, it's about trying to heal. ultimately, if possible to try to heal the core material. Um, to actually be able to see the trigger material uh-huh. as something that points you back in the direction of the source material so instead of projecting it into the relationship you go back to the inner child work for example and to do some kind of a healing or transformative process i mean you can do cognitive stuff you can play lean into mechanisms and uh, meditations and affirmations and stuff but i've always i'm not that afraid of the shadow so for whatever reason I'm okay to go as close to the fire as I can go and I have found that over time I've been able to expand in the rest of my life all the other fields and dimensions because of that primary work. You have to create space for it. You have to to make time for it. And nowadays in this very overstimulated world, we're moving in the direction of band-aid approaches to spirituality and psychology because it takes a lot of time to transform and heal a consciousness. You know, it took twenty years to fuck us up, it's gonna <clears> not five minutes to get us right. I mean that's just the way it is. And for some reason I come from that old working ethic where I'm used to doing this forever. But the challenge now is encouraging people to, you know, how many people say, and you're working with people, they often say to me, how long is this going to take? And I always say it's going to take your whole lifetime. Um, and they don't want to hear that. But that's 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 the dance.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, not to sound super logical or ask for a Band-Aid approach, but when you say transform it and healing it, is that just like – Talking about it with someone who feels like can give you more insight into it and let you sort of express it—is that what that looks well, like? Not for,
1: well, well, talk therapy can be very helpful. It was helpful for me. I mean, you have to be careful that it isn't too cerebral. Right. You know, excessive, excessive analysis perpetuates emotional paralysis. So, I, I've you know have to be careful about that and my experience was and many that I know is that after a while we reached a stage where it wasn't very helpful anymore Um, and and Having insight was fine as long as the insight is resonant with you. Some people, as you know, like Carl Rogers' approach was more to reflect back what the person said, so they felt seen and supported, and then they came to their own conclusions. There's a million ways to do it. I ultimately believe very much in somatic psychotherapy. I believe bioenergetics, core energetics, Peter Levine's SE work. There's some Reiki and work out there I'm hearing about now. Ultimately, goes much deeper in the transformative process. I don't believe in the monkey mind. I believe in the monkey heart, and I think if you can transform. The physical and emotional body, your thinking changes, um, and if you go to try to go top down from the mind to alter and affect the emotional body, I think those are mostly manipulations and containment models. And so I'm really a somatic psychotherapy junkie, basically. Uh, and but again, it depends, Matt, how deep somebody wants to go and how far they want to go on the path. I mean. For some yeah. people, they just want to get some managing tools. I had a client like that. I gave him meditations. He said, Jeff, I don't want to go near the fire of any of that other material. Just give me a few little meditations to calm me down when I'm anxious. That's good enough for me. We did that. He said after three sessions, perfect. Thank you. God bless you. And he left. And others want to go all the way down into the body cavity itself to transform from the inside out. It's up to you.
0: Well, thanks for thanks for sharing that. I think that's helpful for people to kind of, kind of be able to hear and see some of those strategies, um, not to call them strategies. Cause I know they're much more deeper than that. Um, all right. To, sort of to shift gears a little bit. I mean, I guess you'll have to forgive me for asking very like pragmatic questions, but say you're having, say there's people out there who would like to have, um, this uncommon bond, um, or a relationship that helps them grow spiritually, but they're just not having success. They're not able to get into a relationship, um, you know what advice would you have for them?
1: Well, I mean the, the the first and most obvious question I'd ask them if they're actually have done the preparation work to manifest the kind of connection that some part of the things that they want. Yeah. And they may have. They may have. And then the next question is what kind of people are they resonating with and connecting with? What's the soul pod, the people of resonance that are in their immediate world? Social media gives us a wonderful chance to break beyond the parameters of our traditional social network to find people that fit and attune to the next stage of our own development. That's what I like about it. I met my partner on social media, and I may not have met my partner in the little town that I live in, for example.
0: So now, I mean, I'm curious, I guess you don't have to answer this. When you say you met her on social media, did did you guys message each other? Or was it a comment that, or how did you guys connect? Or if you don't have, you don't Uh, talk about that. uh,
1: Susan and I were on Facebook. She'd been on my Facebook for a while, but we'd had very little contact. And then I think I wished her a happy new year or something on her wall. And then we began to interact and, uh, and the rest is history.
0: That's awesome. That's great. And in
1: fact, her writing to me in social media was so profound uh, and so poetic, that's how I knew there was a poet living inside of her, that the voice of the female lover in An Uncommon Bonsera, all of the things that she wrote to Lowen were things that I stole from our interaction on Facebook.
0: Interesting. I was very curious when I was reading the book how much of this was stuff that actually happened and how much of it was... Fictionalize, and you do not, or you can, but you don't have to answer or respond to that. I respect no, that. happy
1: to. Happy to. Uh, I mean, the, the connection that I describe in this book bears very little resemblance to the kind of connection I have with her. Um, it was inspired by a connection that I mentioned that I had in 1998 that had a very... Fiery uh, and reactive quality to it. I don't. Susan and I share an uncommon bond that has a much different quality. I don't even have the language for it yet. Interesting. Um, But you know, and a lot of this came through my imagination, and a lot of it was inspired by the nature of that experience and so many other experiences. I decided I had to make something good happen after so many bad relationship experiences.
0: Yeah, that's great. So again, don't have to answer. But so, what did what did Susan think when she read your book?
1: um she liked the book that's good uh, found yeah i mean had a heart heart a lot of people have a hard time reading it because it brings up so much of their own experience and unresolved and longing for something and then not wanting that and so many i tried to cut through so many uh levels or stages of the relational process the the falling apart the reconnection the connection all of those things and so she liked the book a lot but you know had a and thought it was funny that she's found her writing to me in the form of poetry and the voice of the female character and um but yeah, it was good there wasn't a a, a jealousy response. I don't have any um connection to the woman that inspired the book, and I don't want to yeah. Oh,
0: that's how oh, well thanks for sharing that i was I was wondering that I wasn't going to ask, but you kind of brought it up, so i was
1: just it's curious okay. um. It's
0: okay and okay to kind of go back to you know for people how about loneliness i mean there's a lot of people out there who they're looking for for love and they're just they're feeling lonely it's just part of being human i mean any words that might help for them i mean
1: i mean to do everything i mean i mean The first question is, where is the longing for love coming from? I mean, I kind of like see it as this wonderful way of doing it would be continuing to evolve in in a life that's sacred purpose oriented within ourselves individually continuing to move in the direction of a more satisfying gratifying world or life that reflects our gifts, callings and offerings. And then we become so self satisfied in a way on our path that we are more likely to manifest a partner. And if we don't manifest a partner, it's not as big a deal as it would be if we were looking for partnership to fill a void we had yet to fill for ourselves, you know? So, I mean, I, I I think, I, I mean, Do everything in your power to find a way to reach out and connect for sure. Um, But I don't know. I think for me the thing that helped me the most was continuing to work on my own vibration so that I was more likely to attract something and so that I was less likely to need it from an unhealthy place.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. and It also seems consistent to how you you met um, Susan just through your natural Facebook social media presence doing something – You love doing or feel called to do and just kind of naturally met someone with a similar interest and resonance.
1: I mean whenever I went kind of looking for it, um, you know, it's like I have a quote in the book. You can look for love, but you can't look – no, you can look for relationship, but you can't look for love. Love finds you when it's ready, you know. And some people say love finds you, reframe it. And I'm not always sure it's true. Love finds you when you're ready. <laughs> a lot of people are ready, but it doesn't find them. So it's not always true like that. You know, it's, it's an interesting question. But whenever I went absolutely looking for it, and I'm not talking about in the experience I described earlier where I knew it was coming, that's different. When you're actually literally going up, it never seems to get anybody I know anywhere very good. That's right? true.
0: Yeah, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Um... And how about also, I was wondering since writing, because I mean, the book I really liked and there was a lot of stuff in there. Um, but I'm kind of curious, what have you learned about yourself or about love since, um, writing the book? Not a thing. (laughs) Nothing. You've just been chilling. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean a different, I mean, I'm in a, not because of the book but the connection i'm in is teaching me that it things that i've never knew before like that it's possible to um uh, be in a profoundly kind love experience and for it to still be a profound experience uh, growing up in a very intense environment having had an uncommon bond experience of a very fiery nature i mean i you know i hadn't expected it's not connected to having written the book but it's I'm continuing to learn everything about how to relate properly and how to fall back from my patterns and how to not project onto the other and I mean this is the conscious relationship journey and this is I'm more involved I think in that now in a very actual and literal sense than ever before uh, the subtleties of expansion um, but but it's different because it's not um volatile like it always was before and uh, i'm delighted to know that i can still feel alive to somebody without it having to be a volatile i didn't know that that's great
0: that's i think really encouraging to hear kind of gives people hope that they can change um i'm also kind of curious how is your i mean obviously you've done a lot of personal and internal work since you used to work as a lawyer but i'm curious how is it easier now to love and be in a relationship than when you were working as a lawyer, just because now your your work is more consistent with something that is you might describe as your calling.
1: I think that you know when you're in a survivalist construct in your life, which is what most people are. You know, um, it's difficult to move from the heart outward because, by definition, survivalism is adapted, disguised, masked, and vigilant. That's the world that everybody we know came from and so much of the world still so we define who we are in relation to what puts food on the table basically in an authentic world which is i think the world we're very slowly moving towards where you define who you are by who you really are what your callings are what your gifts are what your offering is what lights you up from the inside out you know that's a much more enheartened path so in that legal world very difficult to move consistently from a place of the open heart because it was inconsistent with my effectiveness. You know, the more nasty, edgy, and armored a prick I was, the more effective I was, and the more head-centered and sharp I was, the more able I was to prepare cross-examinations or write a jury address. And So now, in uh, living in a world that still, I'm still, as my work moves more broadly into the world, I still need my warrior, I still need my lawyer. And I still need to be vigilant, but i 'm definitely moving allowed to stay much closer to the openness of my heart, and that 's absolutely way more amenable uh, to love connection. I was in a love experience in my articling year working for eddie greenspan up here up here and i I docketed i think hundred and sixteen hours a week i It was not cons- yeah that 's really true, and not consistent with a love relationship at all yeah. and I was just nasty and I, I wrote many apology letters to the woman who I was connected to, God protect her. Fortunately, she moved on and married a nice guy after that. And it took many, many years and still takes some work for me to come back from my kind of natural vigilance and move closer to my heart. But, but if you find your sacred purpose, you know, uh, I do think it helps us in every area of our lives to be able to move from a tenderness to become a benevolent warrior or a tenderling warrior instead of just a malevolent and armored and edgy one
0: yeah i i like that i think that's really helpful for men to hear um i, I mean again how, how what helps you balance that finding that balance of s- staying vigilant um or assertive when you need to be but also not letting that harden you and also being tender when you need to be tender
1: you know i the first thing that helped me was the concept of that I came up with uh, called conscious armoring. I mean, a very simple idea of starting to develop an awareness. I mean, you have to do enough opening work to know the difference between what open and closed feels like, right? So you have to take on the process of peeling away the musculature, peeling away the emotional armor as a man, as a human, in order to be connected to something that feels like your heart. So that when you go back into that world, that Unconscious, vigilant world, you then have something to compare that experience to. And then you develop consciousness around it. So when you're, you know, I used to say before I would go selling windows door to door. I used to say, I used to have a conversation with myself in the Johnny on the Job when I went there in the morning to take a leak. And I used to say aloud, nobody ever tated me because it would have been, they really would have put me away 25 years ago when I did this. I used to say, I've got to go now and put on my sales mask, but I'll be back. And I would say this like to my soul self, like I was having this conversation with these two parts of me. And then the idea was to notice when I could take the mask off and to allow myself to take the mask off and to come back and drop back into your heart. And then eventually it becomes a way of being that you can't get away from anymore. I can't remember who said you, this wonderful quote was, you can't talk yourself out of a behavior you've acted your way into. So once you start to become that more in heart being, you do start to take it with you everywhere you go. And there's more fluidity of consciously armoring and then coming back to a more surrendered way. But it takes practice, and it takes making mistakes, right? Like everything.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a really good uh, good message for people to hear.
1: And and don't be hard on yourself because you're living in a vigilant world, and you know we we you know we we can't be open all the time in order to manage the level of stimuli and the negativity around us. We have to be able to go in and out of these places, you know.
0: Definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, what. Well, Jeff, we've covered a lot. Um, is there anything um, that you feel would be imp- anything else you feel would be important for our viewers to hear?
1: No, that's great.
0: Um, all right, great. Well, Thank you so much. I like I said. And, and where can we get a copy of *The Uncommon Bond*?
1: Any bookstore can order it through Ingram Distribution, or, or if they don't have it, uh, Amazon.com is an easy place to get them. It's been really active on Amazon, and my website, Inrealment.com, I, I sign the copies that are ordered through enrealment.com.
0: All right, cool. And any, uh, any final thoughts for our viewers? No, that's great. All right, well, Jeff, thanks so much for being here. This was a really interesting conversation. Thanks, Matt.